A one, two, ready, go. Welcome to the final episode of Bring on the Books. My name is Bryn Case. And my name is Allison Winslow. And today we are reading The Seventh Moon and The Light in The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shihan Karen Tilaka. Bryn, we finally finished the book. <laughs> so be ready for a passionate, vibrant, mm. ecstatic mm. episode because oh. that yeah. is what's in store. All good words. Thank you. Bryn, we have a lot to cover in these chapters, so if it's okay with you, I'm just going to dive right in. No, I really think you should because this ending to the book had so much content, mm-hmm. and honestly, I just want to say thank you for being willing to cover it because <laughs> this is a lot. It was my pleasure. Before we start, a quick trigger warning for suicide bombing, kidnapping with intent to torture, um, and some pretty graphic depictions of violence. We will not be getting into it super deeply on the podcast, but just a trigger warning if you haven't read the chapter, just so you know going into it, there are some pretty explicit details of people being blown up. So just a trigger warning for you guys. Thank but, you, Allison. Oh, you're welcome. My grandma will appreciate that. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> that was for you, Grandma Christine. Yes! <laughs> Chapter 7 starts with the mask ordering Ranchagoda and Kasim to question Jackie. He says that if she sees their faces, she's not allowed to be released. And guess what she was in for? The negatives. The negatives. They, they want to find the pictures. Which Allison predicted, and I told her she was wrong. So, cancel me. Allison, you were right. <laughs> Don't cancel Brent. She's just doing her best. He warns them that she is Stanley's niece and that they can't give away who they are. Kasim is clearly not okay with what is being asked of him and threatens to quit, but the mask threatens him, telling him that he needs to stay. The mask leaves for his meeting with Major Raja and Minister C. Molly tries to whisper in Kasim's ear, pleading with him to release Jackie. He begins to pray to every god imaginable and calls for Dr. Rene, but no one answers and he is met with silence. Out of options, Molly goes to find Sina. Molly threatens to tell the minister's demon about the plan if Sina doesn't help him, so Sina takes him to see the crow man once again. In the crow man's cave, Molly finds Stanley meeting with the crow man asking for Dee Dee's protection. When the crow man asks if Dee Dee is still associating with quote unquote bad friends, Stanley says that he isn't anymore. And I want to point this out specifically because I feel like this really adds to Stanley's character. He's depicted as a man that thinks his son has bad friends, and we're left to decide that that's Molly? Mm -hmm. Just going to put that there and develop it as we continue this episode. I literally wrote next to that. I find this very suspicious. So... As he's watching this scene, Molly is yelling at the crowman to tell Stanley that Jackie is in the palace, but the crowman ignores him. Stanley shares that he has a feeling that a spirit is around Dee Dee, something like an ugly wind, and we as the readers know that this is Molly. The crowman asks if there is anyone who would wish Dee Dee harm, and Stanley answers that there is someone, but that they are not alive anymore. 
When the crow man asks if he has anything that belongs to that person, Stanley hands over a pink paper and twine with cyanide capsules hanging off of it. The cyanide capsules and twine are Molly's, as well as the pink note. The crow man throws Molly out of the cave, who watches as Stanley leaves, passing by a shrine where thousands of people pray. In the shrine is a red bandana, but also a painting of the Mahakali. Molly hears a voice saying that if he wants to whisper, he only has to ask. As he hears this, the Mahakali pours out of the painting in the shrine. It tells Molly that all he has to do is bow before the shrine and all he is will be the Mahakali's after his seventh moon. Molly's thought process after hearing this proposition is really interesting, so I'm just going to read a paragraph from page 334. The heads all speak in a voice that sounds like Jackie's, and you know the moons are rising and clocks are ticking, and you know the light will only bring you more questions without answer, and you know that some lives are worth more than others, each one a poker chip in a different color. Your life is a plastic 10 rupee chip from Pegasus, and Jackie's is a gold-plated casino plaque from Vegas. I think it's really, really kind of sad that he, like, sees himself so poorly and that he only thinks he's a 10 rupee chip. But it's, like, also really sweet that, like, he wants to save Jackie so bad that he's willing to, like, give his life over to or his soul over to the Macaulay. And he's been avoiding that the whole time. Literally the whole time. Yeah. And you can tell in this scene where he does, you can tell he doesn't want to process what's happening mm-hmm. he doesn't want to do it no he's like it's a last resort yeah the maha call is like asking him all these questions to make sure that's what he wants and he's like just do it just do it don't like don't talk to me anymore like just do it mm-hmm. and so yeah. i know i'm with you i think the most tender parts the most tender visceral raw parts of molly have come out in this chapter oh 100 percent. and what makes this part so sad that molly agrees and forfeits all his moons and he forsakes the light and he gives his soul over to macaulay is what happens literally like on the other page um he looks up and sees dd driving with stanley Stanley does what the crow man told him to do to heal Dee Dee and protect him and they start to drive away but before they can go anywhere the sparrow boy the crow man's little servant boy who we mentioned earlier stops them and he hands them a paper written on it it says Jackie's in the palace save her so this little servant boy heard had heard Molly crying out in the cave and went just out of the goodness of his heart to tell Stanley and Dee Dee about Jackie, literally not even, like, five minutes after, oh, it's just so sad, after Molly sells his soul in order to save her. And even though later we see how it all works out where he needed those whispers, it's still, I was just like, oh, this is so sad. If he had just waited, like, five more minutes, he could have seen that, like, his note got there and, like, it was just really sad. Yeah, it was. I I agree with that. That was that was really touching and I think that I was like more in Molly's court than I ever mm-hmm. have been before. Like mm-hmm. this was the first time in the book where I came to the full realization that this whole time we've been going through the mind of someone who's already dead. Yeah. And that I wished he could be alive. Yeah. We'll get to it a little later, but there was a point where I thought that Molly was back alive. I did, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, 
Well, after Stanley reads this note, Dee Dee asks if it's some sort of club, and Stanley gives him the street name and tells him to drive, and Stanley is pissed off, you can tell, absolutely furious, and very, very nervous and stressed and anxious for Jackie. Molly hopes that it's enough to get Jackie out of safety and turns to face the Mahakali. The Mahakali takes Molly to the palace, passing Minister C's house along the way. It tells him to use his whispers now and to get them and to then meet at the car park for his mission. It threatens Molly not to run as runners never get very far. Molly finds Kasim and whispers to him, telling him that he is better than this and to get Jackie to the gate now and he will be rewarded. Kasim hears this and he begins to pace back and forth. At first, he grabs the sedatives to give to Jackie, seemingly ignoring the words he heard Molly whisper, but he quickly changes his mind and heads to her cell. When he gets there, Jackie is awake and trying to get the sack off her head that they have put on. She hears Kasim enter and begins to ask a million questions. Kasim answers some of them and leaves when she asks for water. Once he's gone, Molly whispers to Jackie, telling her what to say to Kasim. When he returns, Jackie tells Kasim what Molly whispers to help her. He plays on Kasim's hopes for a transfer and his conscience. She tells him that Stanley will reward him and is able to get him everything he wants. Kasim takes Jackie out of the cell and gives her new clothes to wear, and as she's dressing, he forges a release letter from Minister C to help to give to security. As they're walking down the driveway, Stanley and Dee Dee drive up. Stanley tells Dee Dee to take Jackie to his house and to not let anyone in. He tells Kasim to go with them. And Stanley takes off alone for Minister C's house where the meeting is being held. But it's actually not a house. It's an office building. I thought it was a house, but it's not. When I first read that entire scene you just read about Kasim letting Jackie go, I wanted to put it, my immediate reaction was to recognize it as character development on the part of Kasim. But then I realized that he wasn't really doing anything good necessarily. It was completely out of his own desires. Yeah. And I don't know if someone should be praised for having a moral compass. Yeah, I don't, I definitely don't think he was doing it out of a moral obligation. I think he was doing it because he just wants to get out. I do think that he realizes that what is happening around him is wrong, but we also never see him, like, he says, like, oh, I'm going to leave, oh, I'm not going to do this, but when, like, it comes down to it, he does all the things that they ask of him. Like, he's he was a- about to go sedate Jackie more so she would be stuck in there. Molly watches Dee Dee and Jackie and Kasim drive away and offers them one last blessing. He says, go safely, my dears. May every roulette wheel be kind. And I thought that was really tender. Oh, I don't know. I just, it was really cute. Molly shows healthier love in his death than he did in his life towards his 100%. friends. 100%. He's way more selfless. Way more selfless. And I think that because it's such a dramatic turn in how he has been, we're just, like, totally shot in the heart. hmm Yeah. <sighs> I agree. Mahakali appears, and Molly goes with him to the office building where the meeting is being held. Molly has a few conversations with the souls trapped inside the Mahakali. He talks to a polecat, apologizing for the way humans treat animals, but the polecat basically tells him to go to hell. He talks to Bilal and Kotu, who apologize kind of for what they do to him or what they did to him. And 
a bunch of other people. I was wondering in that moment, I was like, what are they apologizing for? Yeah, I mean, they they did, like, pick up bodies and, like, hide them and, like, Yeah, but they them. didn't, and I understand their apology for that, but it seemed like a more... The way that it was framed in the context of the chapter, it seemed like a more intentional, personal apology. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand the significance of that until I got to the end of the chapter. Yeah, I agree. Molly and the Mahakali make their way to the room where the meeting is taking place and where the bombing is planned. Molly and the Mahakali enter a floor that looks like a regular office building. Molly remembers something his father told him about the war between good and evil. Um, on page 345 quote you know why the battle of good versus evil is so one-sided Malin? because evil is better organized better equipped and better paid it is not monsters or yakas or demons you should fear organized collectives of evil doers who think they are performing the work of the righteous that is what should make us shudder i feel like that's like kind of a theme that we've seen throughout or maybe not a theme but like a message it's not necessarily evil that we should be scared of but, like, people who do bad things who are very organized and who... It does keep coming up again and again, especially since we're in this in-between world where there's so many creatures to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I feel like the narratorial voice is very much telling us, like, listen, there's all these demons here, but they are so much less scary than the people walking around on Earth that are mm-hmm. still alive and how much bad humans can do. Yeah. I think it just shows how much power we have with every action yeah. we make. Yeah. Good way of putting it, Bryn. Thank you. Yeah. They find driver Molly making his way down a corridor to a big room at the end, and they follow him. Um, Karen Tulaka does this really cool thing of pulling back in the narrative to tell us what will be said in the future about, like, the events that are about to take place. He, um, the narrator tells us that the crow man and bad timing and luck will be attributed to the bombing, but Molly and now us know that it's actually because of Sina and the ghosts. Molly mentions that he has a hand in saving at least one life, and I wonder who that's going to be. I... At the, at the point of time of reading this, I did not know. I thought maybe it could have been Driver Molly. Oh, I was thinking more along the lines of Stanley. Inside, Sina has everything in set in place to ensure that the plan will succeed. Molly watches from the Mahakali side in admiration of the organization that Sina has been able to implement. Minister C and Major, Major Raja and the mask are all inside. Major Raja and Minister C start talking about their plans and are saying quote we are inviting indians to invade us we are doing deals with tamil terrorists we are killing our own sinhalese this is the worst it's ever been it will get worse sir and it just really shows the corruption they're doing deals with everyone making things worse not making anything better just a lot of killing and the affinity of it i mean they have this total illusion that it will end because of somehow more violence that they're creating yeah that by blowing up these men of power it'll completely eliminate bad men but it's like dude no other people are just gonna come into power that are as bad or worse yeah minister c's secretary enters with driver molly they begin to question him about why 
he crashed the car and how he got out when the others didn't. As they are asking him, Cena gives the order for Driver Molly to detonate the bomb, but Driver Molly hesitates. He begins to tell them that he's hearing voices as all the ghosts in the room begin to shout for him to do it. It all becomes too much for Molly, who calls for it all to stop. He asks Cena if he's thought about how many innocent people would die if they did this. Cena rebuffs this by claiming that they are about to end the war, and Molly shouldn't be worried about the people who, quote, stamp the paper that keeps the monsters in power, end quote. No one in the office is innocent. At least that's what Cena claims. Molly knows that the building is evacuated at 5 p.m. sharp every day to try and beat the rush hour and begins to stall to lessen casualties. Finally, the Mahakali has had enough and tells Molly that he must use his last whisper to end all of this. Instead of persuading Driver Molly to do it, he sows more doubt in his mind as he tells him, quote, You see me not, but I know you hear. These men deserve to die, but does the woman outside who just made you tea, do all the people downstairs, do you? Boys like you blow themselves up, and what changes? Is your life worth sacrificing even for this scum? Is hers or theirs? And so he really, like, is just feeding more and more into, like, Driver Molly's doubt and asking, like, are the people outside who, like, might be complicit but aren't the ones doing these horrible actions, are they really worth killing yourself and them over this? And in this moment, I truly thought he's going to get him. Like, Driver Molly is not going to detonate this he's depicted in this scene as being like super sweaty super hesitant seems like he's having a lot of anxiety about what he's going to do Mm -hmm. and then when molly comes in and is whispering all these things to him i was like we know the bombing's gonna happen because of how karuntalaka did that genius skipping forward Mm -hmm. moment in the narrative but i was like is someone gonna do it for him like how how is this gonna happen yeah no definitely puts into question whether driver molly will go through with it cena drags him away from um cena drags him away for the mahakali to eat and as he's doing this he's stopped by stanley barging his way into the room stanley demands answers from minister c about why jackie was being interrogated During their fighting, Cena tries to stab Molly, but Molly kicks the knife, which ends up in Minister C's demon, who has been asleep this whole time because they were distracting him. But he wakes up, and he goes back to Minister C's side. With all this commotion going on, driver Molly finally makes his decision. He says that there are no answers, only this, only now. And he recites the phrase he heard Kuga say, quote, All enemy combatants are complicit. All deserve death. Perhaps my worthless life will finally be worth something. Otherwise, what was the point? He then puts his hands in his pockets and the bomb goes off. Everyone in the room dies but Minister C because of his demon. The demon had saved him somehow by shoving him into a bathtub. I thought that was a bit comedic. It it was really funny. (laughs) Cena is furious at Molly and wants to get rid of him, but the Mahakali claims him. Molly is about to be eaten when the minister's demon jumps on the Mahakali. He tells Molly that he owed him one and that Molly needs to run. I think the thing he owes him for is waking him up to save Minister C. Am I correct in assuming That's that? That's exactly the impression I got. Okay, cool. Um, and I also think that 
this was such an unexpected twist. I know, I know. But I was so here for it. Oh, me too. Which is so funny because you think that, like, obviously the minister's demon is, like, a bad guy, but, like, he's so funny. Like, he just makes me giggle. I know him before in the earlier podcast where we talked about him for, like, 15 minutes, and yeah. then he came back and was a main character. I was, like, was yes! like, He was, like, the hero who saved Molly from being eaten. I was, like, okay, you go you. I know. I loved it, too. I loved the little pair-up. And then later in the chapter, they, like, wink at each other. Yeah. Like, after all this has happened, and I was just, like, oh, like, Molly has a friend. Yeah. He has, like, a friend. He, a might, friend. he might be, like defending a terrible man but like that that demon's kind of kind of fun <laughs> i like him yeah. maybe he's my new favorite character <laughs> molly jumps on a passing wind and leaves with cena and the mahakali in pursuit molly makes his way to the river of baths which is the first step in reaching the light he finds dr renee and other helpers who yell at him to get in the water where the mahakali can't follow and molly jumps in he floats down the river seeing, I think, different versions of himself, like different past selves. As he's floating, he sinks to the bottom and he finally remembers what happens that last night he was alive. We go back to the scene on the balcony and learn that it wasn't Dee Dee who found Molly on the balcony, but Stanley. He had found the note Molly had left for Dee Dee and came instead. Molly had left the note on the wrong racket, and Stanley had impersonated Dee Dee on the phone. Stanley asks Molly how much it would cost him to walk out of Dee Dee's, out of Dee Dee's life, and Molly says that if Dee Dee wanted him gone, he would tell him. Stanley begins to question Molly about his relationship with Dee Dee, claiming that he is putting Dee Dee's life at risk and offers him an envelope of cash. Molly admits to Stanley that he is leaving his old life behind and will go with Dee Dee wherever he wants. Stanley asks if Molly will continue to, quote, keep doing unnatural acts with bartenders, end quote, and Molly says that he will be true only to Dee Dee. Stanley puts out his cigarette and says that's all he needed to hear and raises his hand. And Bilal and Kuto, Kotu emerge from the shadows and begin to choke Molly to death. Stanley starts beating Molly and smashing his, his face with the, his camera. He tells Bilal and Kotu to get rid of the body and leaves. Molly soul leaves his body and he wakes up in the waiting room where we first met him. And now we finally know who murdered Molly and why. Bryn? I thought he crushed did, the did capsule he? and made him drink it and then threw him oh, over. Oh, right. There was something that he had put in his mouth and I wasn't was sure what capsule. that was. It was the <gasps> capsules that he was supposed to, the ones that he stole with mm-hmm. the note. I didn't catch that. <gasps> he killed him with his own cyanide pills. I think so. Oh, I because yes, I remember him being like yeah. holding Molly's mouth closed, and I was like, "Wait, what did he put in his mouth?" But yeah. I didn't go back and read because I was just so engrossed. I, and oh, to so add gross. on to this, now Stanley is not only a man who depicts his son as having quote unquote bad friends around all the time, but he's also totally homophobic. Oh, one hundred percent. That's like literally. The only reason I would assume that he killed. And I think I think Molly thought that it would save him by saying that he would be true only to Molly. But I think that just made Stanley pissed off. Me too. And I think also this entire book, this actually just came to me right now. This entire book, we have seen all of the situations. Actually, no, we haven't seen all of the situation that situations that Molly has been in that have put him 
very close to death. He has always been situated mm-hmm. very close to death. Mm-hmm. And then we find out he's murdered for his sexuality. Mm-hmm. What kind of a commentary is that on uh, that was homosexuality? Like, mind yeah. blown. Something akin to that question that you're posing is one of my questions that I have for you later on. Oh, I'm so glad. So maybe we can we can put a pin in that. Yeah, let's bounce on. back. Yeah, let's bounce we'll, back. we'll come back. Guys, that is how we end the seventh moon. And now we move on to the last chapter titled The Light. Molly swims into a cave and finds Dr. Renee with five drinks on the table. Each drink does something different, but Molly picks the one that takes you to the place you need most need to be. On page 371, after he has had this moment, there's a quote that reads, You wake in the presence of one true God. You recognize her though you forget her name. And I felt like this was religious commentary, obviously, but I wasn't quite sure what to make of it because that is all he says about it. Mm -hmm. He capitalizes God. He doesn't capitalize her. Mm -hmm. And who is this? Yeah. One true God doesn't matter. And also that this one true God is a female distinctly. Does that matter? You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. I was just like, wow, like, why drop that in there so out of the blue, so not really connected to anything instrumental? What are you trying to say with this? I, I totally agree. And it's it comes in the wake of chapters of Molly trying to figure out who the creator is, who is the person who basically is in charge of everything. He wants to know basically who the big man is. Man slash woman. Wait, I just had a realization. Mm, Go. I think this whole time he's just been trying to figure out if there is a god or not. Yeah. So maybe the point of this sentence is just to be like, it doesn't matter who it is. There is a God. Mm. And I saw her. Yeah. Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. That's speculation, obviously, but... I just feel like if my whole life I was like, I just want to know if there is a God. I feel like if I found out that there is a God and I saw them, I would... I think it would be really important for me to know who that God figure is and to share it in a way. So after we hear this really interesting quote from Bryn, Molly wakes up in the waiting room as a helper for souls. And this is the place that the drink takes him where he most needs to be. We get to see Molly answer people's questions and he puts his own Molly flair onto every answer that he gives, which I find really fun and cute. Dr. Renee and a few other helpers celebrate with Molly over his numbers um, and he claims that he's not recruiting anyone, but he's getting, I guess, the most people to the light, so good for him. Driver Molly shows up and Cena is waiting for him. He leaves with Cena, and Molly chooses not to make it his problem. And I say good for good for Molly. 
I say good for Molly, and I say that was predictable. He was going to join them in the little band of miscreants going around and getting their revenge. Yeah. No, Molly doesn't 100%. need to be any part of that. No. Neither, yeah. No, I don't know if he can now that he's a helper. But Oh, good point. But he, he isn't chasing after them, being like, you guys need to stop, and, like, trying to stop them. He's just like, you know what? Not my problem. And he rinses his hands. It struck me as, like, a maturity moment. Oh, so mature. I feel like the Molly at the beginning. I mean, we saw Molly at the beginning choose not to go into the light and to try and fix things in the world and to, like, basically, like, fight for what he believed in. And now, and not that that isn't a good thing and you should do that, but I feel like Molly now is like, okay, I have peace. Like, he's found peace. Inside of himself. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I feel like that's reflected at in this chapter too, in the light specifically, because he's in, he's a helper, which when he first got to the in-between seems like the worst possible thing that he could be yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. And somehow at the very end of the book, we find him like totally finding comfort and rhythm yeah. in this life. And it's... A total 180. We learn that Didi moves to Hong Kong after his father's death and is now openly gay. And Molly is very happy for him and is proud that he was a part of his journey in coming out. I want to bring light to this quote on page 376 that directly comments on this and I think is probably Molly's biggest moment of character development that I've seen so far. He narrates, if you were put on this earth to help this beautiful boy out of the closet, then it can't have all been a waste. I think his ability to reimagine his purpose after this whole time when he's been so sure that it was photography and contributing to the end of this war, I think that his ability to completely disconnect himself from that is huge i totally agree and later on when he like goes back to see his photos we can see more of that like he is totally i i know we keep saying this but like at peace with what happened and he's able to look at his life and be like you know what yes i dedicated my life to photographing this horrific war but that was my, not my life's purpose. And I, I sense a tinge of, re, like, regret in it, too. Yeah, yeah. Because he's, re, he's in his, his whole journey in his afterlife is to keep these people that he loves alive and to somehow communicate to them. And it's mm-hmm. like, while he was on Earth, that wasn't his goal. He was so preoccupied with his pictures and with his work that he completely neglected mm-hmm. the lives of the people that mattered most to him. And so I think he's really been able to see in this in-between afterlife journey that he was focused on something, you know, beautiful to an extent that he should be proud of, but the most the thing that he should have been most focused on was loving yeah I think Karen Talaka is trying to show us that what's most important in our life is the impact we have on those around us 
Jackie moves in with the newsreader Radhika, and they're very happy together. They're a little. It turns out Jackie was lesbian this whole time. Go Jackie. Go Jackie. Molly does say, however, that Sri Lanka continues in the civil war and things just continue to worsen, and that's a pretty sad, um, pretty sad chapter or little section. But it's also real, and yeah. I admire that. I think yeah. that this book would be way too fantastical if everything ended, or if Dee Dee or Jackie's lives did not continue on. Because yeah. the reality of life is, people die and the world doesn't stop turning. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Stanley eventually makes his way to the room and he tries to apologize to Molly and Molly eventually forgives him. But there are a few really interesting moments in their conversation that I think, Bryn, you wanted to touch on. Molly goes to see his photos and finds more ghosts than humans. Kuga arrives and steals some of the pictures, but Molly doesn't really seem to care um, Jackie and Radhika come, but Dee Dee doesn't want to see the photos. More and more people come to the gallery, including Bob and Johnny, who also steal some of the photos. Minister C comes and tells everyone to get out and takes all the f- pictures so that only the perfect tens are left. A uh, dead leopard, I believe it's the same dead leopard as the previous chapter where, that we talked mentioned briefly. Um, he comes and asks Molly to be reborn. And they have a really interesting debate about humans and animals and electricity. It's just really funky fresh. It was funky fresh. <laughs> um, Molly hears his voice being spoken by Jackie, who is trying to buy his photos from his second sister, who has sent who he sent his negatives to. Radhika is moving in and asks Jackie if they can pack away the photos that she has that are Molly's. And Jackie says yes, and Molly says his final goodbye to Jackie. Really bittersweet. Really sad. I almost started crying. Molly takes the leopard to the river of baths to be reborn and tells him about his adventures. Once the leopard goes, Molly decides to go too. And I just want to read the last quote on page 388 and this is the lines leading up to the till the end of the chapter to the end of the book to the end of the book the leopard nods its head and shakes its tail and jumps into the water and right then with the moon in the sky you realize you have nothing left to tell and no one left to tell it to you recognize this as a simple fact and are neither dismayed nor gladdened So you jump, and when you jump, you know three things. That the brightness of the light will force you to open your eyes wider, that you will choose the same drink and it will take you somewhere new, and that when you get there, you will have forgotten all of the above. And Bryn, that's the end of the book. It's so freaking beautiful. It is beautiful. I would love to ask you a question if that's okay. Ask away. My question is, the place that Molly quote unquote needed the most when he drank the drink that put him in white dress and made him a worker, he hated that. (laughs) He always said that processing people into the afterlife sounded like his hell. So why do you think that that is the place that he needed to be most? 
That is a really good question. When I first read that that is where the drink brought him, I literally laughed. I think I laughed out loud. A, I found it funny because it's like they need more workers, and so they obviously just, like, put them in there. But I also – and so I was like, oh, that's really funny. And because I know that Molly – would have hated it and honestly when I thought about Molly more at the beginning of the book I was like Molly would freaking hate this like Molly would mm, this sounds like this does sound like Molly's hell and so it made me laugh in that way but I think that because Molly was so hesitant at the beginning to enter the light and I feel like he only entered to get away from the Mahakali he kind of didn't have an agenda and he didn't have this like brain not that the other helpers are brainwashed but like this full-on conviction that the light is the best possible thing that he really just he doesn't try to sell anyone on it but you do doesn't have that big of an impact which is kind of sad to say but like he's been there he's done that and he knows what that's like and he can kind of help people through that that was a really good answer actually oh, thanks Bryn what do you think of Karen Talaka making Stanley be Molly's murderer and having it be over his relationship with Dee Dee specifically instead of all the political reasons that we were led to believe I'm really glad you asked this question and my answer is not fully baked at all because I think this I think we could spend time going back and forth trying to answer this question mm-hmm. for a whole nother episode. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, I think it changed a lot of my outlook on what the book was trying to communicate to its readers. I really thought that we were supposed to be focused on religion. I really thought we were supposed to be focused on war. Mm -hmm. I really thought we were supposed to be focused on the duality of mankind. But, and I feel naive because I only, I'm pretty sure only brought up sexuality as a main theme in one chapter. Mm. But now we get to the end of this book and Molly wasn't killed from being in a shelling he wasn't killed from gunfire or assassination he wasn't killed for his photos he was killed for being a gay man who was involved with another gay man who happened to be the son of a very powerful man Mm -hmm. and I think that that makes a lot of commentary on power, on misunderstanding, on sexuality, on personal relations. I think that I'm starting to understand this book as so relevant to us right now because it's a commentary on so many things that are going on currently in our world. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reader is really left to discern for themselves how they feel about this killing. Mm -hmm. 
I don't entirely know what to make of it. Yeah. Allison? I would totally have to agree. And I feel like this perfectly transitions into our standby question, which is, what are your thoughts on the ending and specifically how Molly died? I, too, saw this coming out of nowhere, and I feel stupid that I didn't see it coming. Like, we have known that Stanley has immense expectations for Dee Dee that I feel like Dee Dee could never live up to. We know that he is fiercely protective of both Dee Dee and Jackie. We know that he's very high up in society and we know that he has a lot to lose. He's like one of the only Tamils in the government and he has a, a lot to lose. And in a lot of ways, the most at stake. And we even learned in this chapter that after Dee Dee's mom died, Stanley viewed Dee Dee as all he has left. Like, Dee Dee's kind of it for him. And that is a huge motivation for him to do what he thinks that would be most beneficial for his son. I also thought of, and I know we've kind of taken this as he was killed for his sexual relationship with Dee Dee, but I think also looking back, some of it could have been a father that is also terrified his son will leave him Mm -hmm. because Molly had mentioned how they had plans to leave and go live this life in San Francisco and be more accepted for their Mm -hmm. sexuality and all these things and that would mean a massive gap in father and son relationships. And I think this was also his way of preventing that. Oh, 100%. And I also think that it shows how scared Stanley is for Dee Dee safely in relation to Molly's work. He brings up that Molly is working for multiple people and he, Molly even invited Dee Dee to come on one of those trips with him and Stanley is like, do you think you could have been safe? And Molly was like, I would have kept him safe and Stanley's like, no you wouldn't. So it's like all of these things, I think yes, it's a huge part of his sexuality but I also think it's his fear for his son's safety and his wanting to remain close to him that really just like drives him to kill molly and our final question on our final episode what are your thoughts on the book overall allison wow that's gonna be really easy to answer i'm kidding um (laughs) i think this book was amazing i appreciate it even more now that we finished it I would recommend it to everyone. I'm really glad we picked it. I think it was it was beautifully written. And while we don't get answers, I think they just pose such interesting questions and it's in such a different context than we're that we're used to that it makes me think of all those things in a different way. And I'm just like I feel like I'm a better person for read, reading it. And I think that's the best kind of book. Bryn, what are your thoughts on the book overall? Yeah, I have a lot of similar feelings. I'm really, really happy that we, I think content would be downplaying it. I'm I'm really just, I'm elated that we chose this book for the podcast because it was so incredibly rich. Mm-hmm. 
and you could just keep digging and digging and digging. I think that this book demands a lot from you, but I think that it gives a lot back to you. Mm, And I think that what it demands from you, I agree with you, I think it makes you better. I mean, Mm. we've had to... We've had to dig into the history of Sri Lanka. We've had to understand concepts that we haven't really dove, I mean, at least I haven't dove super far into in my personal life. And I think that this, I think so much of the genius of this book is that it it forces you to think about so many different things and shows you the connectedness in all of those things. Mm Well, guys, this concludes the last episode of Bring on the Books in which we look at the seven moons of Molly Almeida. We are not saying that we will never pick up audacity again. We are (laughs) not saying we will never make an RSS feed again. (laughs) We are not saying we will never post to Spotify again. But this, for the foreseeable future, is the end. And... Thank you to everyone that listened or even clicked on it Mm -hmm. or saw it and gave it a second glance. Thank you to Molly Almeida. Mm. Oh, yeah. Even though he's fictitious, thank you to him. And Mm. thank you to Karuntalaka. Thank you to you, Allison, for having this idea to do this podcast, which has been this is the most dedicated i've ever been to a project yeah same yeah oh you you literally took the words right out of my mouth so i'm just gonna i'm gonna leave it there yeah but you guys have a great rest of your night have a great rest of your day have a great rest of your morning have a great rest of your meal you know whatever you're doing i just hope you have a good time doing it and we love you guys we love you guys and See you on the flippity flip. We'll see you on the flippity flip. Bye. Bye.